5: What's going on, everybody? This is the Lombardi line presented by DraftKings alongside Michael Lombardi, Stormy Bonn, and Tony with you. It's conference championship week. We're locked and loaded with our approaches to each of those <laughs> games. We've also got the coaching carousel, which continues to spin. And, Michael, where I want to start off today, despite this being an NFL show, huge weekend yeah. in the National Football League, we got to talk about your yes. boy, the big man, Joel Embiid, puts up 70 last I night. We knew we were
6: going to do this. I knew we were. I need to do make it. you I, smile I was, to start
5: the show. Sometimes, Michael.
6: You know, I, I actually what what gave me the most pleasure was reading his quotes after the game about how you know he when they booed Daniel House for taking the three pointer and everybody wanted him to get to the record. How kind of what he said afterwards. That kind of was a huge giant mother may I step forward for him. So. Look, no one's going to deny the guy's talent. I think what Stan Van Gundy said, I'll stand by it. I agree with him. If he plays in the postseason like he plays yeah. in the regular season, I'm going to be happy. Look, I'm really happy with Nick Nurse. I'm not complaining about him. And so it really comes down to, can he stay I hate to sound like one of the, I hate to sound like Big Daddy and say, <laughs> "We'll see," which is his favorite commentary. We'll see, we'll see. But we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see where this goes. And, you know, I, I do think that they are a better team with Nick Nurse. And it's, everybody seems to think, Stormy, that the Kyle Lowry trade to Charlotte when he gets bought out by the Hornets, he's got one year left on his deal, that perhaps maybe he could be coming to Philadelphia mm. in a trade or maybe just a, a mid-level exemption or something like that. So we shall, once again, we'll see.
5: Yeah, what might they do when we get to that point? But I totally agree. It's okay, show me in the conference. Finals. Show me in the NBA finals. Like, that's when we need to see it. We need you to get to that point first and foremost. But very, very cool, especially considering that 70 points comes on the anniversary of Kobe's historic 81-point game. Carl Anthony Towns had a big day yesterday, too. But the reason that I wanted to open up this way, Michael, is because yeah. I think of Philadelphia, and I think of the people in that town, and I think of yeah. what they're going through right now with the questions about their the head coach, firing both of their y- coordinators, y- y- and interviewing on rivera michael so i mean something needs to make these people happy yes exactly i
6: I think let let me let me try to explain to wawa and maybe cheer up some people as they pour their coffee why rivera is on their list i think they feel like there is a sense of of their head coach is a little bit of an of an emotional roller coaster on sundays and I think they want to surround him with, with obviously, the right staff, but also a calming influence. Because one of the things you knew about Nick when he before he left Indianapolis was he was hot-tempered. He kind of could fly off the handle. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. It's a typical Italian trait, okay? I hate to stereotype, but it is. So I'm Italian. I'm I was going to say, are, are you looking so, internally
5: there, Michael? No. <laughs>
6: No, I, I, I'm, I'm the least fly-off-the-handle person of all, you know. I think I'm more northern Italian than southern Italian. But anyway, I, I, my sense of it is is they want the Rivera thing is kind of how do we, how do we match this with it? It's going to be fascinating what they do with the offense coordinator because Ceriani never called plays in Indianapolis. And when he came to Philly, he called plays. And then he was very emotional. And they kind of, whether it's his idea or the front office's, they then morphed the the play calling over to Shane Steichen. So this offensive coordinator hire is going to be fascinating along with the defensive coordinator hire. Look, it's going to be two critical, critical hires. And they're going to have to comply with the Rooney rule. They're going to have to have two in-person interviews. They're going to have to do everything to find the right person. I'm not quite sure where that person is right now. It, would it be Cliff Kingsbury, who kind of runs this? That was a name that came to mind. Mike Zimmer, Don Martindale is a defensive coordinator. I can't imagine Rivera yeah. can go in there and sell himself as a defensive coordinator after all these years of being a head coach.
5: Well, yeah, that's the thing. He hasn't been a D.C. since, what was it, 2010 now? It's been more than a decade. It's been that long. And you're coming off of a season two where – Your defense was so bad that you had to fire your defensive coordinator. And then even as you take over those defensive play calling duties, you're still 32nd in points allowed and (laughs) yards allowed per game. So I don't like personality aside. I'm not necessarily sure that's what you want to bring in when your head coach was a defensive guy and your defense collapsed the majority of the year. Um, But again, for anybody who missed it, it appears Sean Desai, Matt Patricia and Brian Johnson all gone in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, it appears former Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan looks to be the new head man in Tennessee. What did you make when you first heard that?
6: My first reaction is, look, I've known Brian since he was a kid, you know, and I'm happy for the Callahan family, Valerie and Bill, his parents, wonderful people was with them in Philadelphia, and them spent years with them in, in Oakland mm-hmm. and Bill was kind of got a really a raw deal as the head coach of the Raiders. It took us to a Super Bowl, got fired the next year, <clears throat> never got his contract extended even after going to the Super Bowl. So uh, I got great respect for him, and I wish Brian nothing, m- nothing but the best. My first reaction was simply this uh, they're doubling down on, on, on Will Levis. Like, there are, they believe Levis could be the guy, or else why would you hire an offensive play caller? Right. So, you know, they lost a, st- a strategist in Mike Vrabel, they've h- now hired a, a, a tactician somebody who's going to implement an offense and call the game. And he's already admitted they're going. he's going to run the offense. So to me, that's an interesting situation. I think Brian's got some big shoes to fill. But the partnership between him and Rand Carthon obviously is going to be one that's centered around Will Levis. Now, they, they could say they're going to look, but I have a feeling they think Levis could be the guy just based on what Amy Amy Adams said at her press conference when she fired Mike Rabel that they have a bright young quarterback. And this move signals to me they're going down that road.
5: Yeah, and believe that he's a quarterback developer, which is something that Will Levis needs. Um, He's been with Joe Burrow since day one in Cincinnati. Of course, for anybody who doesn't know much of his resume going through it, Uh, Broncos assistant during Peyton Manning's last three season with the Broncos. Matthew Stafford was his position coach for two years when he had a couple of 4,000 yard seasons. He was Derek Carr's coach with the Raiders in 2018, which was his first 4,000 yard season. And of course, we saw what he did this year with Joe Burrow unavailable and Jake Browning stepping up and doing a really, really good job maneuvering that offense. So that's interesting. And because you bring up his dad, Bill, an offensive line guru with the Cleveland Browns, we know how good that unit is. He's talked a lot about a dream of his being to coach with his dad, do you think that could be a hire on this Tennessee Titan staff?
6: Well, I think it would be a, one of the biggest weaknesses that Brian walks into in this, in, in this Tennessee Titan team exactly. is their offensive line play. And so that would be a huge move. And it would have to come from the Browns saying to him, we'll let you talk. Because it would, you know, by league rules with his contract not being up, he's not allowed to do that. So, uh, for me, I, I think it's really going to come down to if Bill walks into, you know, the, the, the Paul D. Podesto's offense, Andrew Barry's offense, and Kevin Stefanski's office, and says, look, I want to go work with my kid. Yeah. You know, will you let me out? They have to have a replacement there that they feel is of the same quality or Bill or else they're just going to say, hey, you know, you got a contract.
5: Yeah, and, and that would be a huge loss. But I also kind of think like the human huge. side of it, the human side of it, though, that would you'd let him go, right? I, I would just think that you would let him go go coach for his kid.
6: I think you would. Let, I would say this to him. I said, "Look, I completely understand, but give us give us a couple of days to figure out how we sure. could replace you because he's part of the strength and the of the team. Hmm. I mean, that's a huge loss. Look at look at the Patriots losing Dante Scarnecchi." I mean, they have yet to overcome that. Now, you know, Gooch came in for two years, won a Super Bowl. Dante came back. That helped. But these these line coaches, look, the Eagles never let their line coach out, no matter who's the coach, whether it's Peterson, whether it's whether Sariani. It's when you get a great line coach, you're not letting them go yeah. because he coaches five guys that are really important to the overall infrastructure of any offensive team. They're worth their weight in gold. Plus, they have to develop players. So this is a challenge, and if they have somebody that they like that's available, I could see them doing it, yes.
5: Well, and like you think about that Cleveland Browns unit this year, they lost both of their offensive tackles. They didn't have their star running back, had to protect five different quarterbacks this year, and they were still a top eight unit. So I think that says a lot about what he did with them for sure. And, and Michael, I know we have a lot of other news items that we have to hit today, but I got to admit, I went down a Bill Callahan Rabbit hole um, last night looking at Raiders stuff. And I have to know, did he really change the game plan the Friday before the Super Bowl that year? I have to know.
6: No, I, I you know, look, we, the problem with that Super Bowl was we, we were on the one week basis, right? So it was the only Super Bowl. I think maybe there's one other one where we didn't have the two week bye. And we came out with the idea we were going to run the ball. But, but this whole Barrett Robbins thing, he was never going to play in the game. Adam mm-hmm. True was always going to play. And so there's a little bit of mythology to that. And, and, you know, we had a hard time blocking them. And we were old and slow. and We needed another week off. We had too many guys, too many older players that really weren't ready to play. And we were slow, and even though we got the early turnover, we never could match their speed. So we had talked about it, but then we got behind in the game. So look, uh, so much was made of that. I think Bill did an incredible job. Mark Trestman is the offensive coordinator, did a great job. Aaron Cromer, the line coach. But we, we, got into a, we got into a storm that we couldn't fix, and that storm was the, that, that Buccaneer defense.
5: Okay. I I just, I had to ask. I ended up reading so many articles last night that this is me. Whenever we get breaking news, I feel like I end up seeing one thing that interests me and I just go down this completely opposite path and forget what I was looking up to begin with. Um, That's great. We have plenty more news when it comes to coaching and GM changes. The Carolina Panthers, it appears, found their Man, the first domino has come there with, uh, with Dan Morgan getting hired. So we'll discuss that and a whole lot more. We have to hit the break here. It's also, once again, conference championship weekend. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I did already place my first teaser bet of the week. Have no fear, we'll get that out there. (laughs) We'll be right back on the Lombardi line, guys. We're just getting started. Start your morning with a daily dose of winning strategies, insider tips, and the latest buzz with the free VSIN daily newsletter. In today's newsletter, our guy, Bill 80, speaks with sportsbook director for DraftKings, Johnny Avello, about the early line movement we're seeing in this year's conference championship matchups. You'll get that, plus all expert analysis and the latest odds delivered straight to your inbox, absolutely free every single day. VSIN.com slash newsletter to subscribe, and we'll get into plenty of our thoughts on those games coming up in just a little bit. But more news when it comes to big picks in the National Football League. It appears, Michael, the Carolina Panthers, who had a League Worst 2 and 15 season, completed the first step in their rebuilding process. They hire internally former assistant GM Dan Morgan to be their general manager and president of football operations. What was your reaction to the news coming through yesterday?
6: I I'm I guess Dan wasn't part of the team this year. Did he take a sabbatical? <laughs> like, I mean, did he did he not wasn't he in the room? Like all the decisions that they made, he had to be instrumental in a lot of them. And Scott got fired, Scott Federer mm-hmm. got fired, and Dan got promoted. Only in the NFL could this happen. Look, I don't know Dan that well. I've been around them. I spoke to their, uh, I, I spoke to their retreat two years ago. Uh, he's been a pro personnel guy, former player in the league. But to me, this doesn't really send a reinforced message, if you're a Carolina Panther fan, that things are changing down there. Because Dan was part of the the selection, the building of the team, the hiring of Frank Wright. Now, maybe he was the only one who said no, no, no. And if yeah. that's the case, then he probably deserves to get the job. But to me, it's a little bit when you hire an outside firm to search for candidates and you hire the inside guy, seems a little strange.
5: That was my first thought as well, because you just fired somebody that he's been in the room with this entire time. But... To your point, if he has been the dissenting opinion and just didn't really get the chance to voice that because he's not the final say guy, then sure, I think that it's fine. But I also worry after everything that we saw over the past handful of years and the Panthers not having a winning season under David Tepper to this point, is he just another yes man? Is he just going to be another yes man that whatever the owner says goes? I think that's just going to be nothing but a step back.
6: I don't know how you couldn't think he is. Like, I don't I don't see how you couldn't think he is like, because how did he get the job? Like, I don't understand. Like what track record indicated that he got the job? Was it his pro personnel acumen in Buffalo? I mean, he was working for Federer. Like, what did he do to turn this team around that you would say, okay, I think we should hire him. I think we should hire him. But, you know, that's the NFL. Look, I think. We we talked about this pre-show. I think all you need to know about the NFL, you know, is the NFL is about saving your desk, guard your desk. It should be the title of my next book. You know, protect your desk. When you have Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel, and Bill Belichick going through the interview circuit like they're the first-time head coaches, you, you have to wonder how serious your team is to winning. You really do. You have to wonder, are we really committed to winning and it harkens back to when Walsh told me we're only competing against eight teams when the league was 28. I, I, I really believe it's, it's really less than eight now. I think a lot of teams say they want to win, but I think a lot of teams aren't really competing to win. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of that. And there's a little bit of, you're going to make money no matter what you do. I mean, did you see the Patriots' payroll over the last five years? They, are in the bottom thir- they, they were 31st or 30th in the payroll over the last five years. Now... You know, why is that? I don't know. I don't know why that is, but they, you know, they've made a lot of money. And you when you're in the bottom, like Chicago was and New England is, the owner's making tons of money. And are you really committed to winning? Cool. Whereas the Browns this year, they were the highest paid. They were the highest. They paid the most money. They got their money out of it.
5: I was going to say, speaking to that, while we're on the Patriots, what did you make of some of those comments of Gerard Mayo this week on the radio? Basically talking about Patriots are going to back up the brink, the Brinks truck and pay guys to bring in talent. Here, Here's the soundbite we have of Mayo. The
6: cash spending is a big fixation of mine. 31st last year, 27th three years prior. Have you been given assurances by Robert or others that you guys will have the freedom to spend this offseason to bring in talent and free agency? We're
3: bringing in talent 1,000%.
0: So have a lot of cap space.
3: Love it. And
6: cash. Yeah. Ready to burn some cash.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. T That's Higgins good. would be nice. <laughs> I do
5: I do like the way he said that though. We're ready to burn some cash. The Pats have a projected 65 million dollars in salary cap space.
6: Well, I mean, you know, but but Mayo's not going to be the one to do the contracts, nor is Mayo gonna put the dollar sign on the player. So it's easy to say you're going to burn cash. Who's going to value the player? That's either going to come from Matt Groh, Elliot Wolf. Is it coming from Jonathan Kraft? Robin Glazer, who's also intimately involved with the front office there now? I think there's a lot to be decided here, you know, and, and why they didn't spend in the past. Look, the, the one thing about the Patriots is their payroll in terms of player spending is documented. You can find it online. Their payroll in terms of coaching spending is documented. You can find that online. So... Uh, I think to me, you know, Mayo's got to make the right choices. And who's helping them make those choices? Who are they valuing and what do they value? I think that's going to be the critical thing. Everybody spends... You can misspend, too, and they have done that in the past. The year they signed those free agents, whether it's Jonu Smith and Aguilar, who really didn't pan out for them. You know, Judon did. Hunter Henry did. You know, they they, they were able to get a few of those guys to come through. But for the most part, you know, if you're out there spending in free agency, you're overspending.
5: And for, like, whatever you want to put out there, at the end of the day, I just care about the Patriots having a quarterback. Like, what are you going to do to fix that position, first and foremost?
6: I think that – and, and I mean, he's made that abundantly clear that he is going to uh, that they're going to draft one. I think they're definitely going to spend time drafting one, and you can just feel the energy that's going around now. That you know, Jaden Daniels is moving way up the list here. You mm-hmm. can just feel the energy that he's accumulating, and I can tell you this: the he's on the Raiders' radar really quick because Pierce coached him at Ohio, Arizona State, so there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in him. It's going to be a fascinating. Once the Super Bowl is over, it's going to be fascinating handicapping where these quarterbacks are going to go.
5: Yep, New England currently sitting third in that official 2024 NFL draft order. And the order, as far as young QBs goes, most of the talk has been that it's Caleb Williams top tier, then Drake May, then Jaden Daniels. But we had Booger McFarland on the show earlier this week. And granted, he might be a little bit biased with that LSU background. But he said for him, like Jaden Daniels is the second guy for him.
6: I think there's some truth. I think there is, and I think people are worried about. You know, he's going to have to go. to The com- it's a little bit like how much do you weigh? What does his body look like? Look, we got the Senior Bowl. Been. We're going to see some of these guys work out. Bo Nix is down there at the Senior Bowl, so it'll be good. It'll be a good op- atmosphere to see the players play and, and how they handle it all.
5: Meanwhile, uh, former Patriots head coach Bill Belichick has been going through the interview process. And I don't even want to call it an interview when it comes to Belichick. It's more just a conversation. Like, here's what I can do. Here's what we want to have done. And do we agree? Like, that's more what it is for these two versus interviews of these young head coaching candidates. But also, uh, Ian Rappaport reporting the Falcons have requested a second interview with current Ravens DC Mike McDonald for their head coaching vacancy. Michael.
6: Yeah. Now, look, you know, once they do this, right, I'm not sure. So this puts their head coaching hiring off. If they wait for, they also put it in for Anthony Weaver. If they yes. wait for Weaver and and if they wait for uh, McDonald, that puts them. Do they can they interview during the bye week? I, I'm not sure. I think they can, but I'm not positive. If they can't and they have to wait till after the Super Bowl, then this head coaching hiring is going to go a long, long time, and it's going to give, you know, the people in the Atlanta building time to decide if they want to. You know, you want to wait or do you want to go and hire a coach?
5: So from what I understand, they can. They just have to get through the NFC and AFC championship weekend because the Panthers um, were also scheduled to to interview a few people. Lions OC Ben Johnson, who has been such a high level candidate in their view um, as one. And they said they couldn't interview him until after this weekend. So I believe that Pro Bowl week it's on the table.
6: Yeah. And now we just got a report from Mike Garofolo that that and this is going to be what we're going to hear pretty much that there's striking distance between Harbaugh and the Chargers. So we'll see okay. how that kind of what that means. I don't know. Does striking distance mean we're close to a deal? I don't know. But they're reporting that it is striking distance.
5: Well, and when we had Albert Breer, NFL Insider, on the program yesterday, you asked him which is the, the next domino to fall in terms of head coaches. And he said he felt that it was going to be whatever it was with Jim Harbaugh. Um, and, and we've talked about it a lot, too. It seems like the Chargers make a whole lot of sense for him, especially with what transpired yep. off of the field this past season at Michigan.
6: No question. It makes a lot of sense for them because, look, you've got two Hall of Fame coaches and Sean Payton and Andy Reid looking you right down the the, the threshold. You better match wits with them. That's why I think this staff or Antonio Pierce is so critical. It's so critical because this is going to be look when you study these four teams that are in the playoffs that are in the final four, which is really important to do. That you can, Dan Campbell's the leader, but he's got good coordinators that have helped him. I think that's going to be the key for Pierce, too.
5: Yeah, no question. Well, let's talk about those four teams remaining when we come back here on the program. We have seen a little bit of line movement. Kansas City, pretty solid all of a sudden at that three and a half in Baltimore, total 44 and a half. And we're sitting pretty at a full seven with San Francisco hosting the Lions, total 51. We'll preview both of those games and a whole lot more when we come back here on the Lombardi line. Stay with us.
4: This is the Lombardi line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network.
5: Put the VSIN experts to work for you and start betting smarter with a VSIN Pro subscription. Sign up on a VSIN Pro annual subscription. You'll get your first year for only $199. Just use the promo code Lombardi. Get access to everything we do on our brand new vsIN.com website, plus our daily best bets with a leaderboard to see which VSIN expert has the hot hand betting splits to show you where the money and bets are moving for each and every game, plus betting systems, premium analysis, 24-7 video access, as well as our upcoming Super Bowl betting guide with best bets and our favorite props. Remember to use that promo code Lombardi. You'll get your first year of VSIN Pro Access for $199. Sign up today at VSIN.com slash subscribe. Still to come here on the Lombardi line in about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Anthony DeBundo of the Action Network. Has great insight on not only the conference championship games coming up this weekend, but some of those mythical odds for the Super Bowl and potentially getting ahead of a line from that standpoint. And then in a half an hour to kick off hour two, 49ers insider Matt Mayoko is going to join us. And I have a lot of questions for him, Michael, not only regarding the game and the status of Debo Samuel, but did you see the report that apparently came out a week ago from ESPN with a quote from Brock Purdy saying that this past offseason Kyle Shanahan told him hey yeah you get back healthy you're going to be the starter but we're going to try to go get Tom Brady and if we can't get him then we'll have you like where this just totally flew under the radar and didn't really make the rounds until yesterday
6: no I mean but look Kyle's been after Tom when he went when Tom went to Tampa Kyle was after remember everybody denied that story and Kyle that was after the Super Bowl right they lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs and Tom's a free agent and Kyle wanted to bring him in and the front office said no 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 there was he couldn't build the consensus and so he's been after Tom for a while that you know so that that's something i've reported many times on the on the GM shuffle so yeah i mean that kind of flew under the radar like a lot of things does if they don't want to make it a story then they just won't talk about it so But, you know, why not? I mean, why not make a run if you could get the greatest player? Look, what's fascinating about this coaching search, as it relates to the Brady free agency, there was one team interested in Brady. Remember, the Raiders were were interested, and Gruden said no. Shanahan was interested, and his front office said no. But once you got past that, there was no other yeses. It was Tampa or no one.
5: Yeah. Well, what I was so interested about with this past offseason is that, yeah, there was all of the conversation like, yes, I know he retired, but would he come play for his childhood team? They said no to him before, but would they say yes to him this time? And there was a lot of like conjecture and talking heads talking about it. but. We never really heard anything that was based in reality or that somebody had heard specifically. So this coming straight from the mouth of Brock Purdy was so significant and just nobody was talking about it until the last 24 hours, which is crazy. So we'll get into that. But let's focus on the game for now, because where we're sitting right now, the 49ers are laying seven at home against the Detroit Lions, total sitting at 51 and under Dan Campbell. When the Lions have been an underdog of four points or more, they have had a ton of success. I want to say the number I looked up earlier this morning was 16-4 and ATS. Yet, they've only won five of those games outright. So, do you agree with the thought process that the 49ers are the right side here, but potentially seven could be a big number?
6: Well, I think when you really peel back the layer. Of the the lions and and certainly celebrate what they have accomplished, right? And I wrote about this today on Visa Online, is that they they have been great. They've made the plays that they've had to make, but in both games they have given up a ton of yards. They have been teams have outgained them. They've thrown the football at will. They're playing at home, and what they've been able to do is play good in the red area against the rams they played great red zone offense against the bucks and they were able to put the game away in both instances in the bucks game and in the ram game and so now both teams went home the rams particularly wondering like how did we lose that game well you're 0 for 3 in the red zone Mm -hmm. right and so and then the bucks are sitting there saying how did we lose that game we outgained them on a per play basis And everything in the numbers indicate that the 49ers should move the ball effectively. I mean, they give up 14 yards per pass play. That's not average per attempt. That's per play. They give up 4.9 yards rushing per play. They gain 3.8. So the numbers in the two games would never lead you to believe that they are the winner. But they make the plays that they had to make to win the game. And they deserve all the credit for that. This is a different situation now. This is going to be a little bit harder. And it's going to be harder because they're not playing at home and they're playing against a team that will keep scoring. And this could be a a high scoring affair. I mean, they've given up 23 points at home to the Rams, which I would say the Rams are a top 10 offense, 23 to the Bucks, I would say they're a top 20 offense. Now they're facing the best offense.
5: Well, and I think that's a good point, too, because we talk about the yardage allowed in both of those instances. Like, you let Matt Stafford throw for over 300. Baker goes over 300. Baker Mayfield actually ended up having the most passing yards of any quarterback all of the divisional round. But that didn't really turn into as many points as it should have. And you talk about the red zone issues that the Rams had with the, the, the San Francisco 49ers. They are a team that will capitalize in those moments, I believe. So I'm right there with you thinking that not only will San Francisco move the ball, but they'll be able to score and they'll be able to get those points up on the board where maybe these other teams that they've played have not to this point. And I, this is a very different role for them. They've been at home. They've been comfortable at Ford Field with this incredible fan base behind them. And yeah, we're going to hear all the Jared Goff, outside stuff, yada, yada, yada. I don't don't really subscribe to that as much, but I think that the environment in San Francisco, going out on the road, being an underdog, they haven't been an underdog this large all season long, is significant. I do have a follow-up question, though, about Debo Samuel specifically. Um, Right now, his availability is still TBD. Kyle Shanahan said yesterday that, While it's not a fracture, they did find that out. The pain is still significant, so they won't know really until Wednesday, Thursday, what his availability is going to look like. But we have seen that this offense does operate differently when he is on the field and when he's not.
6: No question. But now they have a week to prepare. And I'm not sure that you have to be an elite offensive team at the skill player to effectively handle the Detroit secondary. You know, they still have Ayuk out there. They still have Kittle. They still have McCaffrey. They can use him in any different role. This Detroit defense is slow. Look, they give up 8.1 yards per attempt. They give up 14 per completion. I mean, the one thing they've been able to do is they've they've turned the ball over twice, and the other team has missed one field goal. Meanwhile, they haven't missed a field goal, and Goff hasn't turned the ball over. Mm. So they play mistake-free, but there is so much, so much – that it's available to this 49er that I don't want to say they could play without Debo. I'm not suggesting that at all. But if they have a week to prepare, there's enough on the bone against this Detroit passing defense that you can make a lot of plays if they protect and if they don't get into a negative play. That's what killed the Buccaneers the negative plays, second and 17. Mm-hmm second and 15 all of a sudden especially on the fringe of red area I mean the bucks were perfect in the red zone last week they were th- but when they were on the fringe they got knocked back out of it
5: right yeah and and Aiden Hutchison scares me given the struggles that we saw our offensive line have our oh my gosh the 49ers offensive line have like that that gives me a little bit of cause for concern certainly uh, by the way I know there was some thought process that maybe Christian McCaffrey had tweaked his quad the way that it was getting massaged during the game this past week. Shanahan said he is not dealing with a quad injury. Also for the Lions, their center Frank Ragnow suffered a knee and ankle sprain in Sunday's win over the Bucks, but he is expected to play as for this chiefs Ravens game. The chiefs are getting three and a half points in Baltimore total 44 and a half. And for Patrick Mahomes now in his sixth straight AFC championship game, there was all the talk last week about him being an underdog being on the road. He proved all those doubters wrong. Can he do it again in Baltimore? Yeah.
6: Well, I think he's gonna face a different defensive front. I think when you watch that tape, which I did this morning in the all twenty two, they kicked they kicked the Bills defensive lines, but they moved the ball. They blocked them really well. I mean, they had five third downs in the game and three of them and two of them came on the last drive. I mean, they were in control of that game. And other than a couple missed throws, you know, he had Kelsey open, he had Scantling open. Kelsey looked like he ran the wrong route. I think that Holmes thought he was going to go in one direction, you know, and he, and he kind of took it another way. But for me, I mean, they are, this is who they have to be. They're not an explosive offense. Even when you watch Kelsey on the tape, he does he's not running fast, but let's face it. You know, when you're watching him run uh, against A.J. Klein, he looks a little better because Klein's so slow. You know, it's going to be a different game against Baltimore, and Baltimore will get some pressure on Mahomes. This line, though, give Andy Reid credit and the Kansas City offense, this line played their best that they could play all season in that game.
5: Yeah, no question they did. And uh, again, though, to your point about Baltimore being a different animal, That Buffalo defense we know was banged up. We know their linebacker room was non-existent. That's why A.J. Klein was on the field to begin with, and they faced a similar situation when they faced the Miami Dolphins. It was a defense that was very depleted over the past month or so. So, how will they stand against the top unit in the NFL? It'll be a fun battle to watch, certainly. We'll continue to discuss this game and more with the Action Network's Anthony DeBundo coming up next. He also has a lean in a potential Super Bowl matchup. Yes, we already have hypothetical spreads. What more
4: This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy Bonatone on v the sports betting network.
5: DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL postseason, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs that much more electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code VSIN only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, that code VSIN, V S I N. The crown is yours. Thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. Michael Lombardi and Stormy Tony. with you. Excited to continue our conference championship conversation with betting analyst over at the Action Network, Anthony DeBundo, who joins us now. Uh, appreciate your time. And I appreciate that you are already looking ahead to the Super Bowl. You say, you know, the co- conference championship weekend is cool. We'll get to that in a moment. But the hypothetical look-ahead lines for the Super Bowl, you're already buying in on.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have two decent favorites here with San Francisco and Baltimore, but they, you know, a bunch of books have put up markets for, you know, what the line would be if we were to get a hypothetical Super Bowl. And the limits aren't particularly high, but you can still get down some money. Uh, and one that stuck out stuck out to me was San Francisco and Baltimore. If the two favorites do win, uh, the current total is as low as 47 at some books. There's a 47 and a half still out there. We watched this game not that long ago on Christmas it closed 47 and a half after taking over money all week from 45 and a half that was uh in San Francisco this would be you know in the desert in Vegas uh with you know ideal weather conditions for over i know bill vinovich was just announced as the super bowl referee he's generally been an under referee in the past but if you go look at the box score from that game i mean san francisco even with the turnovers was averaging over 6 yards per play they were moving the ball they had two red zone turnovers that really hurt their offensive production. And Baltimore really got whatever it wanted offensively on the ground, especially against this San Francisco run defense. And if you look at the numbers on this San Francisco D-line, even since they've traded for Chase Young, they haven't been quite as dominant as maybe you'd think, just looking at the names on the paper. So I think this Niners defense can be had, and I think both teams would move the ball. So 47 and a halves are out there on a potential Super Bowl. I like the over if we get that chalk matchup of uh, San Francisco and Baltimore.
6: I completely agree. I've been saying this on the program for a while, Anthony, about this Niner defense a little bit. The numbers don't stack up to the perception. You know, they paid all this money for a defensive lineman. Bosa had five quarterback hits, never didn't touch the quarterback on a sack. They had six total for the game playing at home against the Packers, who can really pass protect. But so can the Lions. Do you think this 49er-Lion game will go over the total because both teams will be able to make plays throwing the football?
7: I do think it's really tricky, uh, actually, because I, I think the Lions are going to try to, you know, follow the Green Bay script. I mean, Green Bay had the ball for so much of that first half, to the point where the Niners only had three full possessions in that first half because Detroit, uh, Green Bay was able to control the ground uh, and go really, really slow. And I think you're going to see Dan Campbell be aggressive on those fourth and shorts to try to keep the drives going and limit the number of possessions because he knows. In reality, like the other side of this matchup, San Fran is the most explosive passing offense in the NFL this year. Detroit was dead last in explosive passes allowed. So there's a lot of holes in the Detroit secondary that I think Shanahan and, and Purdy and good weather are going to have a lot of fun, you know, picking apart this team, even without Debo. But on the other side, I think Detroit can kind of limit the possessions. So the question is, you know, if you get really long drives for Detroit, can that keep this game under the total. So it's a really fascinating kind of dichotomy. I think I just prefer taking the points with Detroit just because I do think they can follow the Green Bay blueprint and and strangle enough possessions and get up to, you know, 20-24 points and that's going to keep them in this game given that San Francisco could be limited in in just how much uh, separation they're able to get.
5: Well, and I do think it's interesting that you mention Brock Purdy potentially being able to pick apart this Lions defense because obviously what we saw this past week was not the Brock Purdy that we've been accustomed to for the majority of this season. So last week's game, recency bias, like that doesn't concern you what you saw last week.
7: Uh, It does a little bit. uh, You know, the question I think, you know, you have to answer is like, was it the weather? Because Purdy was clearly not comfortable with the rain. Uh, It's been a problem for him in the past and it's something that clearly popped up he was just not very comfortable. The the one thing you know, both of these quarterbacks, generally speaking, when you look at them, you'd say, okay, if you can get to them, that's when you can really cause problems. You would assume, based on you know what we've said about these defenses all year, and and what Mike was just saying about you know these defensive lines, that the Niners have the better D line in terms of getting pressure. But this season, the Lions are top five in pass rush win rate and top five in pressure rate. Uh, defensively, you know, per FTN. So their line has actually been getting more pressure. So if they're, and and I actually think San Francisco has a worse O-line than Detroit as well. So if they're able to get to Purdy, can they force those one or two mistakes that we saw Green Bay make? And then of course they actually have to catch the ball, which Green Bay had some problems with last week as well. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, the question is whether the weather or not was the main factor or was it nerves? Because we've now seen Purdy two of the last three games. He did not play well against Baltimore. He had a get-right game against a, a terrible Washington defense, and then he had a poor game against Green Bay. So, is it the pressure? Is it you know defenses adjusting to those in-breaking routes? Is it the loss of Debo, or is it just that he had a bad game in the weather, and and still is going to be fine this sa- Sunday? I'm not sure. Uh, but I, again, like I think Lions are the only side here if you can get the seven.
6: All right, let's talk about the the Chiefs and the and the and Baltimore. Everybody keeps talking about Lamar and all his past stats, when in reality. Those pass stats are equated to Greg Roman's offense, not what they're doing now in the passing game. You watched the Chiefs play Buffalo. Buffalo's passing game I thought was really bad. They played cover two most of the game. They took the checkdowns, never got the ball down the field. Do you see Baltimore being able to exploit what Kansas City did last week?
7: Well, I, you know, it's interesting you said that because that was my biggest concern for Buffalo and, and why I bet Kansas City last week was that Buffalo's pass offense has not been explosive since they've gone to this run-heavy Terrible. approach. And with Diggs not right, and Davis out, and you know, you're know you relying on Trent Shurfield and, and Shakir, you're just not going to complete a lot of downfield stuff. They only completed one pass beyond five yards, and it was about six yards down the field in that game last week. I think Baltimore's much healthier offensively, and they're more explosive uh, in terms of throwing. But they don't really need to be in this matchup. I think they're going to find a ton of success running. We saw them unleash Lamar as a runner last week, a lot more than, than he had done at parts of the regular season. And we saw them use him in the running game in more of an option style. And I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for this Chiefs defense. I mean, I think the blueprint is pretty similar to what the the Bills just did to the Chiefs. I mean, they got to 24 points in the first half, uh, you know, early in the, in the third quarter. And then Spags did make some adjustments. I, I like their ability to make adjustments. But I don't really know if they have an answer for the multifaceted Ravens run game. So I think it's going to be similar to last week where, you know, can Mahomes carry this offense again? past, you know, a better defense now and can the Ravens keep the ball for 35 minutes because I think they're going to be able to do it. And that's why I bet Lamar under uh, 211 and a half rush yard uh, pass yards. I think his total and and really the last 2 weeks the, the totals against this Chiefs defense have been inflated on Tua and then on Josh Allen last week just because you can run so efficiently on this Chiefs defense that teams haven't had to throw it as much and with Allen and Lamar using their legs as well, that's you know another vehicle for them to, to move the ball without throwing. So I do lean toward Baltimore in this game as a whole, and thus I think they'll be playing from ahead. And so I, I took some Lamar under, uh, and I also took some over for the game. It seems inversely correlated, but this yeah. total getting all the way down to 44.5 is crazy to me.
5: It, can you talk me through that a little bit more, why you like the over?
7: Yeah, so I think you're going to get the Chiefs in a, in a heavily passing game script uh, pretty quickly here. I like the Ravens early. Uh, they do get the extra day of rest. They're coming into this game healthier. They usually always have a good script early on. And then I think, you know, you're going to see Ravens playing from in front, still being able to successfully run the ball, getting some explosives with Lamar and his legs and getting some some offense there. And then the Chiefs from behind, I mean, look, I know the Chiefs offense was not the same this entire season. And we can't overreact now just because they had three good games against Cincinnati and, and Miami and Buffalo. And this is the toughest defensive test really they faced all season, but I'm still going to expect Mahomes to get me to a pretty high floor of 20 to 24 points. uh, And thus, you know, I think this total has gotten a little bit too low. Even the weather, which I know a lot of people have been talking about as a potential concern here, like the weather is starting to look a little bit drier as well. So that should favor the offenses more than, than the potential rainstorm that we saw potentially forecasted earlier in the week.
6: You know, last I checked, and I live on the East Coast, I mean, we're supposed to get really warm weather this weekend. It's supposed to be upwards, oh, close to 50 come game time on Sunday, and if it's that weather, it's a regular season game, so... I'm with you. I I wasn't overly impressed. I mean, I thought the Chiefs did a really good job. I just thought Buffalo's defense was slow and bad. That's not going to be Baltimore, but I do agree with you. It's hard. The way Mahomes is playing, taking the profits, not trying to force the ball, they're an effective offense. They scored, what, 27 points in 22 minutes, Anthony?
7: Yeah, they scored 27. They had eight plays of 20 or more yards. And like you said, yeah, like Buffalo defense is pretty banged up by the end of this. But they got to 27, and if they had needed to score more on the last drive, they could have. They had a Hardman fumble on the one-yard line. Like, this offense was motoring. And really, they were motoring against Cincinnati and Miami as well. They just kept getting bogged down in the red zone, uh, and and they had some issues there. But if they're effective in the, in the red zone, they're going to get to 24, 20 points here. I just think Baltimore, uh, with their run game, will control this and and, and get one or two extra stops to, uh, to pull it out.
5: Anthony, great stuff. Really appreciate your insight today.
7: Thanks for having me guys. Thanks, Anthony.
6: Great work.
5: Yep, that's Anthony Debundo. Follow him at Anthony Debundo with two Bs and check out his work on theactionnetwork.com. Has an article out right now detailing a lot of what we talked about, especially those hypothetical odds coming up for the Super Bowl. We're gonna hit the break here real quick when we come back, starting hour two with Matt Mayoko, insider for the San Francisco 49ers, been covering them. For years his thoughts on the impact of Debo Samuel whether or not he will be available in a whole lot more we'll be right back
0: it's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season hey Jeff